uh, I don't know about you, but um, when I was younger and the, and, the, and the minivan was full of kids and we were on a trip and I would miss a turn or we would be lost, and this was before we had a GPS, I wasn't always quick to turn around when Anita would say, I think we're lost or I think we're in the wrong place. It usually took me a little while before I would finally do the U-turn and go back to the last fork in the road that we needed to take, okay? And as I've aged, slowly, begrudgingly, with white knuckles, I have learned to to make U-turns sooner than later. One of the greatest teaching experiences for me on that was one one trip, probably one of my later trips to Curacao, we would always rent a couple of three vans, depending on the size of the group, when we go on our mission trip to Curacao, and... I was always, almost always one of the drivers early, at least when I would, on the trips I would go on. If I was leading the way, that was always the recipe for lots of U-turns. Because you think South Carolina roads are confusing? Go to Curacao and try to figure out, with all the signs in Dutch, which way to go. All right now we have GPS and we have great drivers, and when I go, I don't drive because, or I let someone else lead the way, because I still get turned around. I learned, though... And it was, I learned it so well that everybody was like, whoa, if you ride with Darren, you're going to get seasick because he makes lots of U-turns very quickly. So it can happen. We can learn to turn around when we need to turn around. And if you were picking up on some of that that was just read, you realize that repent is a big part of what Jesus is talking about in chapter 12. And to repent is to spiritually turn around, okay? Literally a 180, an about face, so that you stop going this way and you start going that way, okay? Now, if you've been around, you know that uh, whenever I'm, I use my hands a lot, this is the broad road side that leads to destruction, and this is the narrow way that leads to life, okay? I will refer to that throughout. I've been doing that a lot lately because that's oftentimes what Jesus is talking about. He continues his message of repent and believe the good news that he started with because there's really one decision to make here because we're already on this road when we come into this world, aren't we? And so the decision isn't whether to stay here or not. You don't have to do anything to stay here. The choice before us is to whether to do this, okay? The first time you ever do this, it's called salvation. Every time after that, it's the process of sanctification, okay? When I do this the first time, I am crossing the road from death to life, from enemy of God to child of God. But once I become a child of God, a son or daughter of God, I still struggle with sin, okay? I don't have to be enslaved to sin, but I still tend to give in to it. Then when I'm, so I find myself back here, which is not a good place to be. It doesn't mean I've lost that relationship with God, Okay, it means I'm out of fellowship with God now. Okay, every time I get something wrong, Anita doesn't leave me. We don't cease to be married. Okay, even though I used to tease my girls with my wedding band, married, not married, not, and they would freak out a little bit until they realized, (laughs) right? Yeah, I tortured my kids. (laughs) But but there's a difference between losing a relationship and losing fellowship, okay? And it happens in churches, it happens in, in countries, it happens in family, it happens, okay? Because sin is still part of our world. 
And we, unfortunately, give into it still. I know I do. And so we need to remember to make U-turns, and we need to humble ourselves so that we're quicker to make those U-turns instead of grudgingly, no, I've got these directions right, I'm sure, (laughs) until you finally come back and realize, no, I didn't. So we're going to start in verse 22, and we're going to go through 37 today. And there's really one big idea. There's several things here, but there's um, a big, this big idea of repentance is going to be here and even in the next part of uh, the rest of this chapter because Jesus is making that point over and over and over in lots of different ways because he knows we're human and we're going to sin because we were born sinners. And even though we're saved by grace, we still have this residual thing in life right now called the kingdom of darkness where the where the, where satan rules and he has been given permission to do that he is a lion he will roar but he's still on a leash okay god only he only does what god allows and only for a season and one day that season will be over and sin and death shame and guilt hell itself will be Well, hell won't be gone, but everything else that we have to deal with here will be gone and we'll be in one place or the other, kingdom of heaven or hell. And we will live eternity out in one of those two places because God created us to be eternal. So as we think about these things, we're going to talk about some pretty weighty things, okay? And so if you'll just hang in there, I think you'll hear what God wants you to hear. And then the question will be, what are you going to do with it? So let me pray for us again. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that gives us truth with grace. We need both. We need grace and truth. We need to speak with grace and truth. We need to hear with grace and truth. We need to live this way. We thank you for your example, most visibly seen in Jesus, but all through people, all throughout Scripture. And yes, Lord, in our lives we have people that do this well too. Thank you, because we want to be known for the love that you've given us as we are unified in that love. Imperfect, yes, we, we struggle with this, Lord, and we repent and turn back to you and ask for your mercy anew, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew is writing, one of the 12, okay? He's continuing to give us his version of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? For one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he is, his audience, is, his primary audience are Jews, okay? Whether they're believing Jews as in Christians or whether they're practicing Jews or whether they're not. He, he's speaking to that, so he'll speak with that in mind. So starting in 22, he, he writes, Matthew, that is, says, When um, then they brought him a demon-possessed man. They is probably the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who have been much more um, direct in their criticism and in their accusations and in their attacking on Jesus. So they, then they, those Pharisees, brought him, that is Jesus, a demon-possessed man who was blind and and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And the people were astonished and said, could this be 
the son of David. Now, they could have said, could this be the son of David? That's one way you could read that, right? Apparently, according to those who know better than I, the Greeks suggest that they said it more like, could this be the Messiah? In other words, yes, this, we, may, we may have finally found him. He may have finally gotten here. So there's that, and that really hacks off the Pharisees, and they react pretty strongly. But before I get there, I want to point out a couple things. One is Jesus casts out a demon. He drives out a demon, but that's not what it says. It says he healed him. So there's a connection here that is kind of shown to us that um, sometimes illness is about more than just physical Okay, all illness is because of sin, because sin entered the world. It's not because you sinned always. And sometimes it's because there's more going on under the scene, under this, uh, behind the scenes than we realize. We don't always know why. But I'm not here to say if you are hurting, you, it's because you sinned. No, it's because of sin that came into the world in the beginning. And when that sin is dealt with and fully removed, so will disease and illness and pain and suffering. Okay? That day is still out there, okay? But that's when we, part of what we mean when we say the best is yet to come is that that will be a thing of the past. Another thing I want to point out is that uh, it says Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. Um, You're going to see a lot of words, no pun intended, about talking, saying, speaking, words, slander, blasphemy. You're going to see a lot of things that have to do with speech, Okay? Now, we know, you've heard me say, if you've been around at all, hardly, that um, our actions are an overflow of the condition of our heart. He's going to show you today where all that comes from. That's all in this passage today. But he's also going to show you that our actions are not the only thing that communicate what's going on in here. Our words do too. And that will be really challenging because it's easier to fake with actions than it is with words. Okay? And, And so... This word repent is going to come in handy because I have a feeling at the end, if you're like me, you've been busy repenting already. (laughs) Even during that last song, I'm just like, have mercy, Lord. Um, Say something through this sinful man. So so he he says these things. So he says, could the, the, the crowd is astonished. They've seen something they've never seen before. A blind man can now see. But also, this guy couldn't talk. There it is, mute. And yet now he can. Okay, but that's not the point and the focus. That's the trigger. Because those two things are things that only the Messiah was was said could do. Could this be the son of David? Which is Matthew's way of referring to the Messiah if you go back to Matthew 1.1. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Okay, now Beelzebub. I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but it's basically a a another name for Satan. Okay, Prince of Demons. It means Lord of the Flies, literally. I don't know if there's any tie to the book in that. I, probably because it's a pretty <laughs> wretched book. Um, um, love that we had to read that one for school. The Son of Man is Lord. Okay, I'm sorry, I jumped over there. So Prince of Demons. That this fellow drives out demons. So now, what what are they saying? This is how desperate the Pharisees were, that they were going to accuse Jesus of doing something as amazing as causing a blind person to see and a person who could not speak to speak and then say he did it in the power of Satan. I mean, 
I mean, really, you look at that and you go, that's kind of ridiculous. It's very illogical. Jesus is going to make his case to say, first of all, this is illogical. Second of all, this is inconsistent. Let me show you the illogical argument. So in verse 25, it says, Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Makes me think of our nation right now. Pretty divided, aren't we? It's not a good prognosis if things don't change. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand, right? That's, that's what happens when we see divorce, right? It changes the, the family map. The family relationships change. Now, God's grace is sufficient in those places. I can testify to that. God's grace can bring good despite the pain and the brokenness But his point here is that when you are divided, it doesn't lead to strength. It leads to weakness. It leads to division. It leads to ruin. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? That's the logical argument he uses, and that should be enough. But Jesus moves on. He's got some more to say, and he says that it's inconsistent. When he says, and if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. Now, who's he referring to? He's referring to followers of the Pharisees. Apparently, and we can look at, I'm trying to remember the reference. There's a place in the book of Acts where some Jews are going around driving out demons, but they don't have, they're not doing it in Jesus. Well, let's see. They've been doing it, and, and so Paul runs into them, and they have an exchange. Oh, before Paul runs into him, though, they go, um, we're throwing out a demon in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches about. That's how they, that's how they cast out a demon. They said, uh, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches about. They don't even know Jesus, and they, but they're like, I've seen him do stuff. And, of course, and that it's kind of sad and funny at the same time. <laughs> They get beat up by the demon. They go, Jesus, I know, which is insightful. The demons know Jesus. And Paul, I know about, but you, who are you? And then they beat him up. So be careful when you're throwing out demons to make sure that you, you, know, you do it well and do it rightly there. Um, but my point here is, is that these, there are people who are either doing it and, and he's like, it's inconsistent for them to be doing it and it's God and me doing it and it's Satan. Or they're charlatans and they're trying to catch Jesus being a charlatan, a fake. All right? But if the Spirit of God, this is verse 28, but, if, the, but if, if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And this is what he's preaching, of course. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, repent and believe the good news. In other words, quit believing that the kingdom of God is not here because it's now here. And that means that the benefits of the kingdom are also here. This is, where you, this is why Jesus was able to heal, because he's the king of that kingdom. Okay? Now, from our perspective, we know that while the kingdom of God has come, it hasn't come in full. All right? So this is partly why we still see a lot of the things we still see in our world. Jesus is coming again. 
It won't make another Christmas, sorry. We get one. That's the first coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus, though, will be much, much more exciting, and um, we won't need to... We'll celebrate for eternity for that one. But he says this. Um, so, so he finishes his argument only to make one more argument. Or again, verse 29, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless... He first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder the house. So how can, I, how can anyone drive out a demon unless he's stronger than the one that's in power over that demon? And that's what Jesus did. Okay? He has no problem handling Satan. Remember, Satan is a fallen angel. Okay? And angels are impressively powerful beings. Okay? But they're not people. And they're not God. Okay? They are created beings like we are creating beings. They're different creation, okay? But they are still created. So as powerful as he is, there's a lot of things that Satan can't do that God can do, all right? And Jesus as well. And Jesus is doing that by faith. So now he's going to make a pretty shocking statement. I don't know if it's shocking to you. Maybe not. But it's certainly one that should stir us. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Whoever is not with me is against me. Okay, so let's go back to our broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few find it. If we start here, and we're all born sinners, that's why we sin, we start here on the broad way, and everybody's swimming this way. Okay, so this way is swimming upstream, right? And so we're all here. If it's not that we're standing here and we have a choice to go this way or this way. We start here and are going this way unless God mercifully, miraculously intervenes. Okay? I think we think we have a choice and, we can, and as long as we're here, we're good. Scripture does not teach that. Okay? Worldly culture, sure. But the the Bible does not teach we are, we are out of trouble until we make a decision because you don't know when you're going to die. It was in the late 90s. I was a youth pastor, hadn't been a youth pastor for maybe a year um, in Wilson, North Carolina. And we had some friends over for dinner on a Friday night. And on the way back, those friends were driving back to seminary, which is about 45 minutes away. Um, they came across a traffic accident. And it was, it was just a one car on a four-lane divided road, and the car just flipped did this number. Turned out it was full of teenagers. And I don't remember how many, but at least one died. I was a youth pastor, not a big town. I had kids in my group that knew who it was. Sobering moment. Sobering weeks for those youth, those students, who some of them who went to school with, the, with that student. It's easy for me to understand that a young person has a hard time believing they don't have their whole life ahead of them. But we all do that. Okay, we think about it. We think about the end of life more as we get closer to it. But we still think we've got plenty of time. Even if you're right, you never know when that moment comes until it comes. And to think that you're here and that you have time to respond to that life and death situation and that that's what's even going to come to mind is naive. It's foolish. I don't recommend it. You need to ask yourself the question, 
if I'm here, is this where I want to stay? And the only way you're going to make a decision on that is if you see these portraits of Christ that Matthew keeps painting for us. In this case, it's a portrait of power. Jesus is powerful. He's omnipotent. He's almighty. That means he can do anything he wants to do. Anything. And that means there's nothing in your life he can't fix or change. Okay? That doesn't mean he will. Obviously, that's the rub, right? But we need to not ever limit him. Okay? God is good. That means he wants to do what is good and best. He is great in that he is able. Okay? We need to remember that. Whenever you struggle with, what, what do I do in this situation? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to think. You go back to who is God. What is he like? Always go back to the character of God. The, the attributes of God. Are, this is why we repeat them when we see them in Scripture. He is truth. He is holy. He is, he is uh, able. He is, he is good. He is merciful. He is, um, Gene said, immutable. And I'm like, what does that mean again? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. unchanging. Immutable, unchanging. And, so there, and uh, omnipresent. He can be everywhere at once, inside and outside of time. Okay, omnibenevolent, all good, all the omnis, right? And, and there's so many of these attributes and traits that are there. We need to remember that's who God is. It's why we sing the songs we sing, wonderful, merciful Savior, because he is, because it's true. And that ought to move us to the point of emotion, not just empty emotion, but emotion rooted in truth. If he truly is a wonderful, merciful Savior, That's good news because it means I don't have to stay here. There's a way out. This doesn't have to have a way out. Jesus doesn't die on the cross. There's no way out. Jesus doesn't rise from the dead. There's no way out. But God made a way. And he says the way to get there is to repent and believe the good news. Okay? Whoever's not with me, though, is against me. We need to realize that. We need to think about that. Okay, so he then says this, and and this is where it starts to get really dicey. (laughs) He says, and so I tell you, this is good news. Every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. Every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. So when we you've probably heard of I'll just do a show of hands how many of you have ever heard of the unpardon that there's an unpardonable sin how many of you have ever heard anybody even refer to it okay you don't have to know what it is a lot of you've heard that um, or have read about it or whatever and this is where they get that among other places okay but before we get to this unpardonable sin which exists he says every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven Okay? So I don't know what sin you're hanging on to right now that you think God can't or won't forgive. Okay? But let me just help you with this. If you've stolen something, it doesn't matter the value, God can forgive you. If you've lied, he can forgive you. If you've committed adultery, he can forgive you. If you've had an abortion, he can forgive you. If you've dabbled in sexual immorality and not just homosexuality, all kinds, he can forgive you. Okay, if you've disobeyed your parents, he can forgive you. If you've been harsh with your children, he can forgive you. If you've not served and loved your wife like Christ serves and loved the church, he can forgive you. And I could go on and on and on. You get the idea, right? 
There is not a sin that you can commit. There's not a single sin that you can commit that God cannot heal or forgive. Okay? Isn't it interesting that he said every kind of sin and slander? Oh, there's that word again. There's words again. And slander is going to be followed by blasphemy, which is slandering God. And slander is saying something that is untrue about somebody that demeans their character. You speak, you speak harshly. We, we hear it on political stuff all the time, people slandering one another um, and make it, making it as personal as possible. If you want to see it, just get on Twitter. You can see it in, in mass. You can see it in just about any social media comment section. You can find people slandering each other and, and with no, almost no regret or sense of conviction at all. So he says, so that's the good news, but then he gets to the, the issue here. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And I find it interesting that Jesus is calling the Holy Spirit diff, something different than himself. Okay, He's not referring to God, the Father. He would re- always calls his Father the Father. He refers to another entity, okay? And he says that when you blaspheme against him, you will not be forgiven. Now, what does that mean and what does that look like? And he he continues, um, let me finish this here, Um, will not be forgiven. I'm sorry, verse 32. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, that's himself, will be forgiven. You would think it would not, you almost think it would be the other way around, right? Either in this age or the age to come. So here's what's going on. It's not a, the unpardonable sin is not a single sin. It is the willful, persistent, rebellious unbelief that God is who He says He is, and He's going to do what He's promised to do. It's it's something that you do over a period of time, persistently. You persistently reject God. You persistently, willfully choose to not trust and believe that Jesus is who He said He is. And he's going to do all he's promised to do. You say, well, wait, I thought it said Holy Spirit. That's how we get him. The Spirit, if God is the means, Jesus dies and makes it possible. The Spirit is the one who works in us to bring about contrition, to open our eyes to be able to see the truth so that we actually can understand. He gives us the ability to understand the truth. He gives us the truth. He gives us comprehension. He gives us the ability to believe to choose to repent. He gives us the power to repent. He gives us the courage to repent, but he doesn't make us repent because we're accountable for a decision that we must make by grace through faith. And so that decision's on us, but God makes it possible through the Spirit of God. So when we... Do some, when we reject him willfully and persistently and, and over and over and over, we're like the Pharisees who are going, he's delivering these people and driving these demons out in the, in the power of Satan. We're saying God is working as Satan in our lives. That's the ultimate slander. When in fact, his son died so that we could live. He sent his one and only son to die for us so that we could live for him. Do you see that? It's unpardonable because you are persistently stiff-arming God and saying, I will not bend the knee. I will not bow to you. 
which is ironic because we still will. It just won't be as one of his. Philippians 2. It's a big deal. He's calling us to get to the place where we're finally willing to make a U-turn. To admit that we're going the wrong way. Right? We all know what that's like to resist wanting to do that. But you need to understand that there's a level at which that issue affects eternity. What, what about you? Are you driving this way and you don't want to make a U-turn because you don't, right? You don't know when, you don't know when your last day is going to be. I don't know when my last going to be, day is going to be. Then he says this, this is in verse 33, and he just kind of drives home his points with an illustration or two. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Okay, You can tell it's an apple tree because you can look and see it's got apples. You can tell they're a follower of Jesus because their life looks like Jesus. The pattern. Obviously, we're not going to do it perfectly. But that's the, that's the pattern you used to see. And then he adds to, to this something that he says to them, you brood of vipers, you, um, you litter of little Satans. How can you who are evil say anything good? You can't. If your heart is not where it needs to be, you can't say something contrary to your nature. And then he says it even more clearly, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Have you ever heard anybody say maybe to you, you're full of it, right? Well, if you really think about what they mean, that's pretty gross. But anyway, they're saying you're full of it. What are they saying? That what you're saying is just the overflow of what's inside of you. And they may mean it much cruder, but it's a spiritual truth that what we say and how we live is an overflow of the condition of our heart. You say, well, I think I'm in trouble. (laughs) Right? Until you learn to make a U-turn. So, are you humbling yourself? Are you making U-turns on a regular basis? If you're not U-turning every day, then you're probably not paying attention. Okay? We're not lost in our relationship with God. He can give us that when we turn that first time and he establishes us as his son or daughter. We're no longer an enemy of God. But you know how kids are. Even though they're family, they don't always act like it. Right? We all struggle with that. We're all imperfectly trying to follow the Lord together. But if we don't ever kind of, if we find ourselves acting like this and not making those U-turns, our hearts get harder and harder and harder, and then we become practically stiff-arming God, even though we're, we just become that son that has run from home and has run away with dad's inheritance and wastes it on useless, wasteful living. Okay? And then he says this, so don't, leave, don't miss that, for the mouth there again speaks what the heart is full of, Verse 35, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. If you hold your, your, your place there and go back to Matthew 6, you'll see 
um, that Jesus has already mentioned this in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. 622. The eye is the lamp of your body. Your, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body would be full of darkness. If then light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And he goes on to talk about how that affects the decisions we make and the things that we say. What's, what, how does the light get into the body? It comes in through the eyes. It comes in through the senses. The word of truth comes in and illuminates the heart. And if our heart's in a good place, then the windows are clean. Okay? The squeegees have worked. Okay? But if I'm not in the word and I'm not fellowshipping with God's people and I'm not seeking first his kingdom, then the windows get dirty and they get a film and the light doesn't come in as well. Right? Think about it. Solar panels. Solar panels work better when they're clean. And if you don't keep them clean, they're not as efficient. Okay? Light needs a clear way through. And light gets into the body and that's where we find our heart in a good place. Then he ends with this. But I tell you, this is verse 36. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. That's horrifying, folks. <laughs> for every empty word they have spoken. That sounds to me like anytime I've said something that's just a waste of words, waste of breath, I'm still going to answer for that. Maybe nobody heard me say it. He doesn't say just the words that people hit, uh, heard. And I imagine, it doesn't say, it says spoken. I imagine this includes written. You know, I really don't want God to bring up my social media writings when I'm at the judgment seat. Because I've not always done that well. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And apart from the grace and mercy of God, we will receive our just punishment for those words that are spoken. It's pretty sobering, and it should be. Repent and believe that I, I have a heart that needs cleansing. The only way I can be cleansed from this is through the, the blood of Christ. Think of it this way. Sin is a virus, and we are in a world where the true pandemic is spiritual and the only way we're going to find healing is through the blood of Christ that is not contaminated or infected with that. Jesus took on sin. He took on all our sin on the cross, and he defeated it so that we wouldn't have to be slaves to that evil, that wickedness. We're still in a world where it's a factor, and therefore we still have to deal with the consequences of it until he gets back. In the meantime, let's leave an empty chair at the table anticipating his return and let's repent and believe the good news that the kingdom of God is near. Let's pray. Lord, for many of us, this is nothing new. But the practice of repentance is not regular in our lives. For, for some of us, we don't even think about you until the next Sunday. There's not a relationship that's flourishing there. This is why you call us to pray without ceasing, because there are times when we need to repent and believe right now. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us the courage and, and the eyes to see that we need that cleansing and that forgiving. I need it. I need it. So we all need it. 
kind especially. So Lord, I, I pray that you would just continue to remind us of this, keep it in front of us, but that you, we would find us willing to do something about this, not just go, oh, that's interesting, but to truly embrace that you've made a way for us to get back on track. If we will just take that U-turn and humble ourselves and admit that we're wrong in the direction we're going, that you will be there to embrace us like the father was there to embrace his prodigal son who finally came back admitting he was wrong all along. We need that. Thank you that you are standing there ready to embrace us because you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. Thank you for that truth. Thank you that Jesus' death on the cross was enough. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.